your first job. Anybody remember what your first job was? Think back. I know some of you got to think back really far. Uh, careful. My first job, uh, I got, my first real job, I got in middle school. Eighth grade, uh, I was a paper boy. In fact, if you lived between 30th and 36th Avenue, between Lincoln and some of you, uh, in the mid-90s, uh, there was a period of two and a half years that I was probably your paper boy, uh, good or bad. Uh, but when I, was, when I got this first job, I realized that some of us, we have a little bit of a complicated relationship with work. Do we not? Like, when I was young, like, we didn't have a lot of money. And so having a job, making $3 for every house that I delivered a newspaper to, like, that was great. That was a little bit of margin for me. I had a little bit of money that I could go and buy a donut after school or whatever uh, I did with my money back then. It was great. But the complicated part of it uh, came from, I hate waking up early. Like, still to this day, I do not like waking up early. In fact, uh, there was, uh, the, the worst day delivering the newspaper is on Sunday. Because on Sunday, the newspaper is about three times as big as any other day. Because you have all the ads and all the other things. And so, uh, I remember this. My mom got up one morning. I'm, it's a Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to deliver the newspaper. And my mom gets up. It's like 5 in the morning, 5.30, whatever. And I'm like, Mom, what are you doing awake? And she said, well, Kevin, for the last two years, every morning when your alarm goes off, you get up and you grumble through the entire house. Oh, this is before I was drinking coffee. I was a middle school kid. I'm grumbling and grunting and making all these frustrating noises that I have to be up that early to go deliver the newspaper. And she said, I'm finally, I don't know if I feel sorry for you or if I'm just tired of listening to your noises. So on Sundays, she would put the newspapers in her car and she would go out, drive me around, and I would deliver the newspaper so I didn't have to carry all those newspapers on my back. And that was my first job. Anybody else in here, anybody else can say, man, I kind of have that complicated relationship with work. Well, there's some, some benefits to it. There's some good things about work, and there's also some things about work, man, they get frustrating. Uh, sometimes it's the people you work with. Sometimes it's your boss. Sometimes it's a broken system. Part of the issue with why... Uh, our, diff our, our work can be difficult is because of the amount of time that we will spend in our lifetime working. All right? The United States, our average life expectancy is 78 years old. Some of you, you're on borrowed time. All right? 78 years old. In that average of 78 years, okay, check this out. You will spend almost 230 hours, 230,000 hours sleeping, Okay? Out of that 78 years, you're going to spend 26 years sleeping, okay? You know what the second largest statistic of what you're going to do with your time is? The second largest statistic is work. You're going to spend uh, 90,000 hours of your lifetime at work on average, which means in the course of your life, you're going to spend over 10 years at work. 10 years, that's a long time. Some of you are younger and you're just getting into the work field. And you're like, man, that's a lot of work in front of me. Uh, the reality of it, when we can think about work, there are some days that we go to work and we think these are great days. You know, that's where you wake up in the morning and you're energized. Uh, it's a good day because you have bacon for breakfast. Because anytime there's bacon for breakfast, it's going to be a good day. Am I right? Amen, Amen to that. You, you, you get to work and there's no traffic. And you get to work and you're just, it's like, it's like you're a work ninja, right? Like everything, you're just knocking all the things off your list. There's no annoying people in the office that day. So you're just 
you're busting it out. You get home at the end of the day, and you're like, man, that was great. I love this. Some of us have a few of those days. Then there are those other days where it's like, it's like a battle after battle. Like the alarm goes off, and it just happens maybe to be a few minutes later than it was supposed to be. Uh, you get the kids up and get them ready, and somehow the kids, I don't know how this happens when you're late, they forget. They forget how to get dressed. They forget how to brush their teeth. They forget how to eat breakfast. And you're sitting here saying, what the heck? We're late, kids. How do you not remember you have to brush your teeth? Uh, you start driving to work and there's the traffic. Now, I know we live in Yakima and there's not a ton of traffic. But if there's a little bit of traffic, us Yakima people, we're not really prepared for that, right? So there's traffic. And then you get to the office, you get to work, and uh, someone bought the bad coffee. It's like the coffee that isn't very good, and you got the bottom of the uh, pot, and you're like, man, this coffee isn't very good. Uh, then you, you, you start trying to focus on your work, but it just seems like there's just this war and this war, and it's warring against you, and you've got people coming in and bothering you, and you've got all these things happening in the office. Um, work can sometimes be a complicated relationship, am I right? This summer, we've been in this series looking through the book of Proverbs. And we said, what we want to do is we want to look at the book of Proverbs and say, God, what kind of wisdom would you give us for these practical areas of our life? And so we've allowed God, through the book of Proverbs, to speak to us about our words and how we can use our words to build up instead of tearing down. And how we can use our words to give life to the people around us. We dealt with, uh, we dealt with friendships on how uh, God gives wisdom towards our friendships. We dealt a couple of weeks ago with wisdom for our finances, how God can give us wisdom in that regard. Uh, last week, uh, Jim Herring uh, did a great job uh, giving us wisdom on making everyday decisions, how we can make wise decisions. And today, we're going to deal with wisdom regarding our work. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, this doesn't sound very godly. This doesn't sound very exciting. Like, I already spend, you know, 40 plus hours a week at work. Why do I have to talk about it today? Well, I think it's the reality of it is we spend a lot of time at work. We spend uh, 10 plus years of our life at work. And this is an area that God wants to give us some wisdom to, how we can make this more effective. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16. If you don't know where Proverbs is, chances are if you open up your Bible to the very middle of your Bible, you'll find a book called Psalms. And Proverbs is the very next book. Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, sometimes when we consider work, we think, man, work is cursed, right? We look at the idea of work and we think it's cursed. And, and it is. But at the very beginning, one of the things we have to understand when we start this conversation about work is from the very beginning, before the fall, God created work in a positive light. When God set up the foundations of the world, he created man and woman to work. And, and in creation, God called us to contribute to the common goal, good of our society through work. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God creates Adam. And here's what God says to Adam. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. So this is Genesis chapter 1. God's just beginning the creation of the world. And he says, Adam, you have a job to do. You are to subdue the earth. Then in uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15, uh, we see that it says, uh, God put man in the garden to work it and to keep it. 
okay? From the very beginning, God created us to work for the common good of our society around us. Work is a good thing. Now, obviously, we know in Genesis chapter 3, the third page of the Bible, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, what happens is our work becomes cursed. Our work becomes a little bit broken. In fact, what Scripture says is that there's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles on the ground that are complicate our work. Uh, ladies, you're going to have pain in childbirth. Can you imagine what childbirth would have been like before the fall of man? Like, it would have been great. Like, ladies, you'd have, like, a bunch of babies, because it sounds like, to me, it's not going to be painful. Like, let's just have babies. Okay, sorry. Genesis chapter 3, all these bad things come to our work. There's thorns, there's thistles, there's pain. And if you were to look at it today, we'd say all these bad things come to our work. There's computer problems, there's coffee pots that are breaking down, there are demanding bosses who are not very generous to us, there's annoying co-workers, there's all these things that happen that have complicated our relationship with work. And so today we're going to have a conversation about work and whether you are a plumber, whether you are an accountant, uh, whether you are a mom, and that's your job for this season of life, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a cashier, whatever it is that you do, I want you to recognize that God ha has gifted you. God has called you. God has placed you where you are for you to bring value and to contribute to the good of our society around us. With that idea, I'm going to ask just God to pray over us and then we'll, we'll jump into Gen Proverbs 16. God, thank you for your grace on us. Thank you for meeting us here today. Uh, Lord, I pray as we deal with uh, these practical topics, God, that you want to give us wisdom to. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us on this issue of work, that you'd give us uh, your uh, purpose behind it. Help us to understand, God, how we can redeem our work for your good and for your glory. God, we pray for your time and, and, and your, your presence on us now, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. So Proverbs 16, here's, here's what Solomon would say to us today. He says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 2, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And here's our key verse today, verse 3. Solomon says to us, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What does he mean by that? When he gives us this word commit, the, the actual Hebrew word, the definition means to throw off, to, to cast aside. And so you have this picture of a person carrying this burden of work on them, carrying work with them. And, and they make a decision when they are going to uh, commit their work. They have this, this picture of, of I'm, gonna, I'm not going to carry this burden anymore. I, I, I'm not going to allow it to weigh me down. I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to trust God with my work. And the second part of that verse is, if we commit our work to the Lord, our plans will be established. Now, it almost sounds like if we commit our work to the Lord, that God will give us all of our dreams, and all of our dreams will come true. But that's not what he's saying, because that word plans, again, in the Hebrew, the definition for that word, and maybe a better uh, translation would be, uh, your mind will be established, or your thoughts will be established. See, what Solomon is trying to say is that if we trust God with our work, if we dedicate our work to God, that God will bring peace, 
of mind. God will bring security of mind. That if we trust God with our work, that we will be grounded in him. Does that make sense to you? In fact, here's, here's the, the principle that Solomon would give us, the overarching principle regarding work. This is something that, as you think about this week, you might want to write down and think about throughout the week. Is that when we uh, dedicate our work to God, that leads to us having a mind being assured in him. When, when, we, when we dedicate whatever it is that we do, whatever it is you do, wherever you work, you work in a field, you work in an office, you work in a boardroom, you work in a kitchen, you work at home, whatever it is you do, if you dedicate that work to God, if you recognize, I'm doing this for you and I'm giving this to you, God, that Proverbs says that our mind will be assured, we'll be at peace with him. I mean, think about this. If, if you're going to work for 10 plus years doing whatever it is you're going to do, isn't that what you want? You want peace? You want satisfaction? You want to, to find value in what you do? Because here's the secret. A lot of us have this confused notion that we work because we get a paycheck in the end. Or we go to work because we get accolades, because we'll get awards for being the greatest employee. We'll get awards for being uh, contributing to society. Listen, those things are not going to uh, bring you that ultimate value that you're looking for. You're going to find that a mind assured in God is the most valuable thing that you can get from your work. And it comes when you dedicate your work to the Lord. In fact, the Apostle Paul said something very similar to what Solomon is trying to teach us in Proverbs. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes and says, whatever, whatever you do, whatever your career is, whatever you do, if you're a mom, if you're a business person, if you're an engineer, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So important. Paul, Solomon are teaching us this idea that we are created to work and that when we dedicate our work to God, when we surrender our work to God, that then we step into God's blessing. Then we step into that point that we find peace in our work and we find satisfaction and value and, and feel accomplished. It's a basic idea that we have to understand is that we need to dedicate our work to the Lord. And that's where that peace and satisfaction comes from. Now, I know some of you are sitting in your chair and you're saying, okay, that sounds good. Like, like Pastor, great, I dedicate my, but, but how do I actually do that? Like, realistically, what does that actually look like? Somebody asking that? Good, because I'm going to give you the answers as to what that actually looks like today. There are four steps, four application points, four ways that you and I can dedicate our work to the Lord. And the first one is that when we, when we start to commit our work to God, when we start to dedicate our work to God, that our sluggardness is exchanged for diligence. Okay? We're going to see this consistently throughout uh, the book of Proverbs. You see this uh, sluggard mentioned time and time and time again. In fact, uh, Proverbs 19.24 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back into his mouth. All right, Here's a picture of the sluggard. They put their hand in the cookie jar and they grab the cookie, but they're too lazy to actually bring their hand out of the cookie jar to their mouth. Like, that person is a fool, because if there's a cookie in there, I'm taking it. And I'm going to bring it all the way, I'm going finish to the, finish the transaction, if you know what I mean. But the slugger starts something and does not have the wherewithal to actually finish it. Uh, Proverbs 26, 14 says, As a door turns on its hinges, 
Okay, here's a door turning on its hinges. So does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard is the person laying down, tossing and turning and trying to say, well, I can't sleep. You know, I need my 15 hours of sleep and I'm only at 12 right now. They're still in bed. Proverbs says, just like that door, that's what a sluggard is like. It's a couple of the verses. I'm not going to read them all to you. You can look them up later. The picture that we find in Proverbs about this sluggard is, is a lazy person. A person who is probably a little bit resentful. A person who's always whining, always complaining. Somebody who is unappreciative. Somebody who is shrinking from their responsibility to contribute to society. This is a person who fights against the wisdom that God has wired into creation. Who fights against this idea that God has created us to work. That we are created by God. We are given skills by God so we can be used by him for the common good of our society. The sluggard is a person who fights against the wisdom that hard work pays off. The sluggard is a person who fights against this idea that they are to work to provide for their family. Listen, the sluggard is not ever seen in a good light. On the opposite side, though, uh, we're going to see that when you commit your work to God, that your sluggardness ex is exchanged for diligence. Again, diligence, this is another theme you see throughout Proverbs again and again and again and again. In 12, uh, Proverbs 12, 24, uh, Solomon says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 21, 5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. poverty. See, the diligent person, uh, that's the person who works hard even when things get tough. That's the person who says, man, I'm going to continue to battle. I'm going to continue to fight. This is a person that means that, they, that, they, that when they work, they recognize that this is God's ordained plan for them. That God has gifted them to work, and they're going to continue to pursue. Now, I want to throw a little bit of a, of a clarifying statement here. Because I know that there are some who are physically unable to work. Physically, you're incapable. You've had uh, issues, and, and you're incapable. Listen, this message and this idea of the diligence is not, not for you. God doesn't have this expectation of you are incapable of working, that you work. God understands those who are physically incapable. But we need to clarify that there is a difference between, between being incapable and being unwilling. There's a huge difference between the two. Being unwilling to engage what God has called you to be a part of as his good plan for your life. That is not the same thing as being incapable to work. Again, think about, think about generations. Think about the millennial generation. A lot of said is about millennials. Uh, I think I missed the millennial generation by one year. I think I'm right on the cusp. The rest of you that are younger than me, I'm sorry about that. The millennial generation, one of the things that people say about the millennials is that uh, they believe they should only find a career that, that makes them happy, that fulfills them. And so oftentimes the picture of a millennial is a millennial is a person that's living in their parents' basement, uh, in their pajamas, waiting until they find that perfect job. Waiting until they find that job that gives them two weeks of paid vacation, that gives them a corner office. It gives them a job that is going to be completely fulfilling to them. 
Listen, here's what I would say to that. That when we understand that God calls us to diligence, that diligence in the long run pays off. Again, we talked about this financially. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we dealt with finances. That, that, that the key to success is not short bursts of blessing. The key to success is doing the right thing over a long period of time. And that's where success, that's what diligence means. And I would say to you, man, if you want a career that's going to fulfill you and make you happy, that's great. But in the meantime, there's no reason why you can't go work at Starbucks. Right? Like, if you want a career, you've got these plans, I want to go and I want to do this in my life, I want to do this big thing. Listen, there's no reason for you to sit around in your pajamas waiting for that perfect job to happen. There's no reason why you can't get up right now and, and say, I'm going to get a job right now. I'm going to do something right now to, to be diligent, to invest into society, to, to raise some money. Because what happens, and, and for those of us, uh, for those of you that are a little bit older than me, I love talking to mentors. I love hearing, hey, how did you get where you are today? Like, you're successful. How did you get there? Oftentimes, what they're going to do is they're going to point back to a time when they were a little bit younger. And they're going to say, man, I had this job, and it was a crummy job. It was a job that was difficult. I had a boss that was a jerk. I had this circumstance, but God taught me through that time. God taught me diligence. God built my character. God shaped me during that time. God taught me responsibility. God taught me work ethic in that time. And those things led to me today becoming a success. It's a very simple principle. Like, we want these great, fulfilling jobs, but man, don't wait for that to come. Just go get a job now and be faithful at it. Be diligent at it. One of the other things I, I remember talking to kids at Madison House. Uh, worked at Madison House with these uh, inner-city at-risk youth for a long time. And one of the things that I remember talking to these kids that they had to understand is, is they would get a job, and then they'd find a boss that they didn't like. The boss was me, and they'd be like, oh, man, I'm going to quit this and find another job. Listen, the best job that you have, the best job is the one that you have, right? It's foolishness for you to say, man, I've got a family to provide for. I've got all these other things, uh, but I don't really like this job. I'm going to quit and not work and hope God provides something else. No, that's foolishness. Again, diligence would tell you, hey, if you want another job, keep working at the one you're in and wait till that new job opens up. Like, that's just what diligence would say. This idea of working with diligence goes beyond just our, our, our work. It goes to what we do in our life. In fact, there's a, a story I wanted to tell. There's a guy uh, I met six years ago by the name of Dan Petker. Uh, when we were getting ready to plant the church, uh, we were trying to recruit a launch team. Uh, some people that would come around us and help us, help us plant the church, help us be Restoration Church five years ago. Dan Petker was 89 years old. Dan Petker says, hey, Hey, Kevin, I'd like to talk to you. He said, Kevin, do you, think, do you think God could still use me at Restoration Church? And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, dude, you're 89 years old. You were a missionary. You, you served in ministry for 50 years. Uh, you've, you've done all these tremendous things in your life. And here you are in a season of life that most people would be, would be playing pinochle all day long. Most people would be going to the bingo hall and enjoying their retirement. And his question to me is, Kevin, do you think God can still use me? And I said, man, Dan, absolutely. And Dan was one of these guys that we would pray with every week. We'd go into his apartment. 
And I can tell you, Dan would be in tears praying for Restoration Church. Be in tears that God would grow our church, strengthen our church. That I could look into his room and he'd have your names written on his wall of people that he's praying for. That's Dan Petker. Saying, I want to be diligent. Listen, maybe you're in a season where you don't have, you're in between jobs. Be diligent in something. Use your time for good. Think about Dan Petker. He passed away this past week. His services are going to be on on Friday at 10 o'clock at Living Care. And if any of you are able to attend, I'd love to have you there. I know know the family would appreciate seeing you there. He's a good man. Diligence. When we commit our work to the Lord, when we dedicate our work to God, we, 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 we exchange our sluggardness for diligence. Second way that we dedicate our work to God is we exchange our excuses for execution. We exchange our excuses for execution. Proverbs 26, 13 says, The sluggard says, there's a line in the road. There's a line in the streets. The sluggard says, he's got an excuse. Well, there's a line in the road. There's a lion somewhere out there. And if I go to work, the lion might eat me. So I can't go to work because there's a lion somewhere out in the streets, right? Now, most of us probably aren't going to fear there being a lion in the street. But what are some of the ridiculous excuses that we make for not going to work, right? Well, you know, I can't work. You know, my, I might get hit by a truck. It's raining. There might be lightning. I might get hit by lightning. The idea here is Solomon's kind of pointing fun at the preposterous excuses of things that we do to get out of uh, the difficult tasks on our plate. In fact, I don't know, maybe, maybe this looks like your life, maybe it just looks like me. But you ever get to the point where you've got this, this, this long list of things that need to happen. You've got all these things that need to do. And you get to work and you realize, man, uh, man, my desk is a mess. I need to spend the next... 45 minutes organizing and cleaning my desk because that's really important right now. Or, or, or maybe you get all these things you need to do and all these things that need to happen and then you realize, oh man, I've got this Facebook friend and they took the quiz to determine which state they should really live in and I, I might have missed it so I need to go on Facebook and figure out where my friend should have lived, right? Right? These are the excuses uh, of sometimes why we aren't focused at work. And here's, here's the deal. Either you are going to make excuses in your work, or you're going to work towards ex- execution. The wisdom of Solomon, Proverbs 14, 23, says, In all toil, in all work, there's profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. Mere talk. This is our excuses. This is our criticizing other people because they're not doing it as good as us. This is uh, maybe us dreaming or talking about some idea that we want to see accomplished, something we want to do, but all we're doing is talking about it. I mean, the danger of talking about something, this is psychological. There's psychological study that shows the danger of talking about something is that it actually leads us to actually believe we're actually doing it. By just talking about it, it can lead us mentally to believe we're actually doing it just because we are talking about it. And listen, there's a huge difference between talking and doing, am I right? In fact, if you want to be successful, 
I mean, you want to be successful, you've got an idea, you've got something you want to accomplish. Here's what experts would tell you to do. They would say, don't talk about your idea. Don't share your idea with, with too many other people. They would say the key to that idea is to actually work on it. Just to begin to work at it. In fact, this idea about our excuses uh, being exchanged for execution, oftentimes there are two types of people in the world. There are those types of people who like to sit back and complain. They sit back and see all the problems going wrong in the community. I think you see this in the community all the time. You've got these people on Facebook or on their blogs or on whatever it is, and they're sitting back saying, look at all that's going wrong in the city. Look at all the things that the, the city council's doing wrong. Look at all the problems with the gangs. Look at all the problems in the police department. All these things going wrong. And you've got another group of people. They're saying, oh, I'm going to go and serve the community. I'm going to try and make the community better. I'm going to go volunteer my time for the city. I'm going to go and, and serve in the inner city youth. I'm going to go and, and try and alleviate some of the problems in our city. And then you've got this person over here, and they're criticizing, saying, well, you're doing it wrong. You, you know, you shouldn't be helping like that because that's not really helping. All the time, you've got one person who's actually doing something, being productive. You've got the other person who's just standing back, just talking. Talking is getting nothing accomplished. In fact, you want to stand out in your workplace? You want to stand out in your workplace? You want your boss to love you? Simple idea. Don't just talk. Work. Actually get after it. Be focused on that. And I'll tell you what happens. Your boss begins to wonder, man, something's different about this person. Like, why is this person different than all my other employees? Again, because we understand this idea that we, 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 we move from just talking to execution. Third step on dedicating our work to the Lord is we exchange advancement for excellence. We exchange advancement for excellence. Solomon's Wisdom, Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. See, this is an important thing for us to hear, especially young people. Because we're told over and over and over again, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, there's some truth to that. There's absolutely some truth to that. But a more fundamental truth would be this. The key to success, the key to your success at work is finding out what you like to do. Finding out how God has gifted you. And how you can use the gifts that God has created in you and become very good at it. That is as simple what it is. Figure out how God has wired you and become good at that. Solomon's telling us, listen, don't focus on the promotion. Don't, don't, don't focus on trying to get a raise. Don't focus on trying to climb the corporate ladder. Solomon's saying just be skillful at what you do. Be diligent at what you do. Pursue excellence. Get better at what you do. And the, pro, the wisdom of Solomon says that we won't serve before obscure men. That we will rise until we serve before kings. The goal that you should have is not that you would be the greatest, whatever. The goal that you should have is that you'd be, uh, you do the best that you can at what you are called to do. That tomorrow you'd be a little bit better than you were today. That there would be growth. See, instead of the goal being advancement, Instead of the goal being uh, achievement and all the success, the goal should be growth. That today, that tomorrow you'd be a little bit better than you were today. 
that you'd continue to pursue excellence. And then trust that God will allow you to stand before whoever God wants you to stand before. The goal isn't advancement. The goal is excellence. And let God bring those other things to, to fruition. Fourth step, last step to dedicate our works to the Lord is we need to exchange our disenchantment for delight. One of the things I love about Proverbs is Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs and he followed up the book of Proverbs with the book of Ecclesiastes. Now again, Proverbs gives us wisdom for living, gives us wisdom to how life works best in, in, in this world. And here's wisdom for work. Ecclesiastes kind of carries this idea that sometimes that doesn't always work out, right? Sometimes these are promises, not, uh, these are Proverbs, not promises. Sometimes things don't always work out. So Ecclesiastes 2.18, Solomon says, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Who's coming after Solomon? His son, Rehoboam. Solomon, I could just picture him writing this thing, man, I, I'm, raising a, I'm raising a moron. Like Rehoboam, like we know what's going to happen biblically. He's, he's going to be an idiot. He's not going to be a very good king. And he's saying, I have to leave all of that to this? Like I've worked so hard, I've invested so much energy into something that's not going to last? And here's just kind of his, his, his layman. I have hated all my toil. But here's what he would say in verse 24. Ecclesiastes 2.24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases. This is also vanity and striving after one. Solomon is telling us something here. He's saying work in and of itself is a dead end. But work under the banner of God's design. Work under the banner of God's calling for your life. Work under the banner that, that work is goodness. That is where you find a mind that is secure in God. That is where you find satisfaction in your work. Solomon is writing this at the end of his life. And he's been wrestling with this idea. He said, man, I, I built my identity around my work. I built my identity on the things that I did. And now I realize, man, my work can't handle that weight. My work was never meant to have my identity tied into it. I put too much prominence in what I produce. At the end of his life, Solomon is realizing, man, I can't take any of this with me. Solomon is trying to teach us that a person who dedicates his work to God, that says, God, you are the Lord of my salvation. You are Lord of my life. But God, you're also Lord of my work. You're Lord of every part of my life. That person moves from a, a disenchanted view about work because it's not your identity. To, to dedicate their work to God, that person steps into the joy of God's design for work. And that's where that person moves from disenchantment to delight. That they can delight in their work because it is dedicated to God. So what is it with you this morning? As you consider this idea about wisdom for work, what is it for you this morning? Where are you at with work? As you consider your workplace, are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Frustrated? 
whatever it is that you do, whatever your workplace is, in the office, in the exam room, in the field, have you dedicated your work to God? When you consider this, which of these points speaks to you? This morning, are you the person that makes excuses, that does a lot of talking? Are you the person that needs to pursue excellence in your workplace? Are you the person that needs to learn how to take delight in the work that God has given to you? Do you see your work as being connected to God's design for your life, God's purpose and God's plan for you? Things we have to wrestle with. But the beauty that we find ourselves in today, the beauty that we find ourselves in today is that we are free to work with confidence. We are, we are free to surrender our work to Jesus because Jesus has already completed the hardest work. Jesus has already brought us redemption. Jesus has already brought us hope. Jesus has already brought us restoration. So we are free to spend the next 10 years, 15 years of our life, whatever it is, working under his banner of his goodness and of his design because the hardest work of reconciling us with God has already been taken care of by Jesus. That frees us to be able to say, okay, God, I'll do it your way. I'll dedicate my work, my time, my efforts to you. Let's do that today. Let's be a people who will dedicate our work to God trust that God will bring peace and satisfaction and fulfillment.